Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear from Trevor Oldham, the founder of Podcasting You and host of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. Trevor has been running Podcasting You, a podcasting booking agency that helps real estate investors guest on podcasts. And after working with hundreds of real estate clients, he shares tips and tricks along with insights from his guests for how to start investing in real estate, grow your real estate business, and how to build credibility and become a go-to expert. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. And today on the show, we have Tim Lyons. Tim is a 16-year veteran of the New York City Fire Department and currently serves as lieutenant in the borough of Queens. Until recently, he also worked part-time as an emergency room nurse at a level one trauma center. He brings years of real-world management and leadership experience to his real estate investment career. Tim's initial goal with real estate is to create passive income and in turn, be able to spend more time with his wife and three little girls. After partnering on a multifamily property, he saw firsthand the power of real estate investing as an opportunity to create passive income and build wealth for his family. Tim has since started Cityside Capital with the goal of not only growing his own portfolio, but also to help others realize the power that real estate investing can have on creating passive income and building wealth. His company, Cityside Capital, has 79 million assets under management, including 561 multifamily units. Tim has also invested as a limited partner in a 256 multifamily unit deal in Texas and in a large retail super center in Tennessee. Tim attributes his early success in real estate investing to education, investing in coaches and mentors, and surrounding himself with like-minded people. And most recently, in April of 2021, Tim became an Amazon number one best-selling author and a book he co-authored with other authorities such as the real estate radio guys, Robert Helms, Jim Rome's 18-year business partner and master marketer, Kyle Wilson, and many more. And that book is called Bringing Value, Solving Problems, and Leaving a Legacy. Tim, super excited to have you on the show today. Trevor, thank you so much for that introduction. Sounds good when you say it, so thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Happy most, to be here. Most certainly. And, and Tim, for our audience that may be hearing from you the first time, do you mind walking them through that first property that you had in real estate investing? And what was your thought process behind it, especially from someone that was you know, working in the fire department for such a long time and then sort of making that jump into real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, listen, I'm a regular guy. I'm a blue collar guy, but I also went to college and, you know, just like everybody else wanted to do the right thing and make money and have a family and growing up money was always an issue. If we spoke about money around the kitchen table, it probably wasn't uh, about a, a positive or a good thing. So I think growing up in that kind of environment, I just always wanted something kind of a little bit better for my family and to do better for my family as I grew up. And, you know, growing up, I, uh, you know, was kind of taught, you know, go to school, get a good job, pack money into your 401k save diligently for a down payment for your house as the house is going to be your greatest asset. And then someday, maybe you get a job with a pension and then someday you'll be able to retire and you'll be living the nice life. And I think a lot of us, you know, we kind of subscribe to the same kind of philosophy growing up and it took me a long time. I'm going to be 39 this week, you know, so it took me a long time to kind of change that paradigm, but I did. And I started reading different books and I started listening to different podcasts and I started surrounding myself with some more like-minded individuals about how to invest differently or how do other successful people 
build their wealth aside from bringing a company public or working on Wall Street or, you know, some of those jobs that we think about having a ton of money. So the more I got educated, the more I, I was kind of zoning in on real estate. And I'd always had a, a soft spot in my mind for real estate. And I always knew at some point I was going to be involved in real estate. But it wasn't until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad while on a family vacation, sitting on a beach in the Outer Banks, North Carolina, summer of 19. And I couldn't put this book down. And it was one of the books that I had in my firehouse overnight bag stuffed on the bottom. And it, I never read it for maybe a year. And at the time, I just wasn't a big reader. But anyway, so I read that book and I'd swear I, I finished it and I looked up and I said, holy cow, I wish I would have read this book, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. I told my wife that day, I said, babe, I said, We're, I'm going to be a real estate investor, you know, and she knows that I'm always on to the next thing. I'm a hard worker. And she was like, yeah, sure you are, Tim. You know, absolutely. I'm 100% behind you. And uh, to be quite honest, like that's huge for me because when you're getting into something like this, having your wife support or your partner support is just huge. So that was the summer of 19. By November of 19, I was closing on a three family property. So like literally four short months later, I just took this massive action that everybody talks about on podcasts and on audiobooks. And it sounds a little bit cliche, but there's a point that I'm a very conservative guy at heart. And I don't like to lose money. I don't even gamble on like the blackjack tables, the $5 blackjack tables, and I'm on vacation because I just don't want to lose that $5. So when it comes to other people and, and giving, I'm, I'm like the most you know, generous guy. When it comes to me and, and my personal finances, I'm, I'm a pretty conservative guy. I'll, I'll put it like that to be nice, right? So when I decided to do this, I certainly wasn't chasing after that shiny object. And I certainly wasn't trying to get rich quick overnight. But it really took that intense education and reading and having audiobooks and hitting podcasts and going to real estate meetups all in that little short four-month period. And, you know, I, I came across a term uh, called analysis paralysis. It has a significant meaning because it, it turns a lot of people away from doing a thing that's a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit unknown and having that risk. They say in sales and psychology, like people move away from pain doubly than they move towards pleasure. And anytime there's fear, the, you know, the, the mind is built to kind of protect us. So anytime we have fear about something, we're just not going to do it. So... Uh, within that four-month period, I just kind of had that certainty that real estate has been around for millennia. People have made a lot of money in real estate. And as long as you buy it right, finance it right, and manage it right, you know, you will come out on top. Bought that three-family property and uh, cash flowed it, you know, uh, for a couple of months. And I did a little better on my taxes. And at that point, my wife had some kind of buy-in as well. She saw that it was working. She saw that, you know, the power of it now. And you know, although Christina doesn't want to have a material participation in what I'm doing, she understood why I was doing it and how it works. So kind of right after that, it brought us into 2020 and, you know, COVID is kind of ramping up a little bit and I had enough capital to maybe do one more similar type of purchase, but it took a lot of my time. And, you know, with real estate, you know, you always hear like the cliche terms of passive income and mm -hmm. basically set it and forget it and so easy, but it's really, it can be a lot of work. And, being a landlord is certainly not passive by any stretch of the imagination. So that first property, we put a new roof on, we put siding on, we renovated the first floor unit all while working two jobs and having three little kids. My wife was like, dude, I thought you were going to get into real estate because you were going to have more time with the family. And I was spending a lot of time at this house. So I kind of was starting to think like, how do I make this more passive? And again, I was educating myself, reading audiobooks, audible podcasts. And I kept on hearing about multifamily. 
And uh, before I get into my multifamily journey, I'm going to throw it back to you to see if you want to unpack any of the, what we just talked about. Yeah, I think the thing what really sticks out to me is that first three family and deciding to purchase that. Do you mind running our audience through the numbers on what it looked like? If you can give the details, purchase price, how much you're making per unit, the rehab costs, because I think half of our audience listening to it is looking to get into investing in real estate. And then the other half is invested looking to take their portfolio to the next level, which I'm sure we'll get into the city side capital part. From the story, but I'd love for you just to walk our audience through the beginning of, of buying that three family and just what the whole process was like. Yeah, it's kind of hard to cash flow up here in the Northeast. So you have to really kind of get into which area. You, you just got to get localized. I mean, it sounds very cliche again, but it's really block by block and, and neighborhood by neighborhood. And then it's looking at the comps and then it's looking at the one, three and five mile population growth and the median income and can the median income support your rents and having access to data. I mean, we have more access to data now than we've probably ever had. Once I narrowed down the neighborhood, because I certainly didn't want to invest in a war zone so I can just cash flow, and I didn't want to go down the appreciation only route and lose money, even if it was just a little bit of money each month. You know, I definitely I was a hundred percent entrenched in the cash flow positive investing for cash flow, and if appreciation is, is a cherry on top. So it really came down to how to underwrite a property. And, you know, I relied heavily on, you know, biggerpockets.com and their calculators and, you know, friends and family who had kind of gone down this route before. And there's a ton of Facebook groups and just kind of getting my my questions answered that way. Um, and then there was a local meetup that I went to and there was certain some people that I relied on to to help me say like, yes, is this a good investment or not? So the property that we ended up uh, buying was a three-family property built in 1920. So it was like almost 100 years old, right? And the asking price was 315. We purchased it for 276. And the property taxes were 6,100. And at the time of takeover, the gross rents were 3,200. So you kind of hear you know, about this 1% rule that people talk about sometimes. The gross rents should be approximately 1% of the purchase price. So at an asking price of 315 and gross rents of 3200 that was right around the, the 1%. So I definitely didn't want to buy it at that point. So we negotiated, uh, I think I offered 250 and they laughed at us, but then, you know, they came back and we went back or whatever. So 276, we settled on, but you can see how that Delta between the, the 3200 of the gross rents and rents hadn't been raised in a number of years. Um, on those tenants and they were all long-term tenants and the first four unit was going to be vacated by the owner's uh, nephew or something like that. So it uh, gave us an opportunity to get in there, refresh that first four unit. We did uh, plank flooring, we painted the whole place, a couple of different hardware uh, fixtures and stuff like that, some new light fixtures, ceiling fans. And then we did the roof and we did the siding. So all in, it was we did 25% down and then we spent about another say 30K uh, on all the upgrades. So we might've been into it for maybe 75,000 or so if I'm doing my math correct. Right away, we were able to, you know, raise the rent on that first four unit because they were getting a sweetheart deal because they, you know, they knew the owner. Um, and now today we're at 3450 for the gross potential, you know, the gross rents. And initially when we bought the property, we used a LLC to buy it. Uh, and again, like, you know, there's a ton of, you know, activity on chat rooms or bigger pockets or whatever about, do I buy it in an LLC? Do I buy it in my individual name? Because if you buy it in an individual name, just so your listeners know, you know, you can get the best financing, you can get the lowest rates, you can get 80% LTV, and you can get a 30-year fixed amortized loan. 
If you buy it through an LLC, then you get to qualify for what's called commercial financing. So we had a 10-year note amortized over 20 years, and uh, the rate was higher. I believe it was 4.5%. So we were doing fine. We were still cash flowing nicely, but we actually just refinanced and got a 3.5 rate and a 30-year fixed. So now we're just going to cash flow this thing forever. So, I mean, that's really the the overview of that first property and just getting the education about being a landlord, right? So like, how do you collect rent? Well, there's a there's tons of apps and, and programs. So we used a free app called Cozy.co, which ended up being bought out by apartments.com. But we can do our marketing through there for new tenants. We can collect rents. We can assess late fees. We can get work orders. We can do accounting through it. So it's really robust and it's free. Uh, so that's what we use, you know, so, so for some of your listeners who might be new and trying to figure out, like, do I use spreadsheets or do I use a, a program? Like there's good free and low cost programs that can certainly help you out on this journey. That's excellent advice. And for this deal that you're putting together, and I believe through Cityside Capital, it's yourself and your brother. Did you guys both go in on this property or was it just yourself that was going through the process with it? No. So this was a, a friend of mine. Our kids um, go to school together and play sports together and stuff like that. And I was interested in always talking about real estate and he was also interested in talking about real estate. So we kind of just hit it off. And so I did it with a, a partner. And that's the other thing too. It's always so much scarier doing any of this stuff by yourself, right? Like you're by yourself and you're like, man, like that fear and that anxiety and, you know, am I doing the right thing? But, you know, in real estate, really, if you can surround yourself with mentors or coaches or a, a partner and you can do this together or a group, a mastermind, a meetup, I mean, just having that access to all these resources and free resources at that with these meetups, you can really kind of get that comfort and that level of certainty that you need to pull the trigger, especially for your first purchase. That's, that's perfect. I definitely could see how having a partner could help in that situation. And I think where our audience is curious next is it's 2019, two years later, 2021, you went from owning this three family to now, I believe, owning over 550 units. That's quite a big jump. And I can imagine there's probably a good amount of stories within that. And I'd love for you just to go through the mindset of shifting from the three unit to you know, going out and buying these other properties that are out there to now having you know, over 550 units. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great point. This is what I actually, I'm so passionate about talking about is because, you know, I could have waited and said, you know what, I want to have a hundred million dollars in a portfolio and 500 doors or 700 doors. Right. And I could have waited until I could jump in and do that one thing. Well, guess what? Like you, you're going to wait forever, right? Because you just have to simply take action. So People ask me all the time, Tim, would you do what you did for that first property or would you go for multifamily now that you know all about multifamily? And the answer is I would never do the three family and I would go <laughs> right into multifamily. You know, would I be at this multifamily, you know, would I be where I am today if I never got started with that three family? The answer is 100% no. So with that being said, now we made that pivot into to multifamily because listen, I had the proof of concept with the three unit property. And then I had cash and capital, maybe one more similar type purchase. But I'm saying to myself, all right, you know, they always say there's a rule. And I'm not a rule, you know, but <laughs> people want to cash flow, say, 150 to 250 per unit per month, right? So if you have one house and you're at $200 for that single family house, like you're doing pretty good, right? But is that really going to move the needle for somebody? 
And yeah, it might if you get a smoking hot deal and maybe you can refinance after a few years and take those proceeds and put it into a new property and, you know, little by little, you know, just build that, that portfolio. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's probably what I would have done had I not done multifamily. But getting into the multifamily space, people talk about being able to scale and go quicker and go bigger and build out a team. And it's a lot easier to raise money for a 200 unit nice complex in a great market than it is on a 1920 built three family property in the Northeast. There's just no scalability because eventually everybody runs out of capital and everybody runs out of deals. So that's kind of how people go from that single family duplex, triplex, quad space into multifamily is they've maxed out the number of loans they can get. They've maxed out the number of loans their wife can get. You know, they don't want to necessarily go to the hard, 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 hard money lenders or other creative financing routes. Then they're like, listen, I'm going to sell my portfolio and get into multifamily with a 1031 or, you know, whatever. It's kind of like that progression. So now I'm into multifamily and and I decide, again, I, I'm a couple months into my three family. It's the beginning of 2020. COVID's being talked about. And now I'm hot and heavy into real estate. And at the time, I'm still working as a firefighter full-time and a ER nurse. And I had to kind of make a decision. I had read some books. The one thing by, I think, Gary Keller, right? You got to focus on one thing and kind of niche down, niche down till it hurts, Right. And I said to my wife, I'm like, listen, if I'm going to go into real estate in a bigger way, then I got I, something has to give. I can't be a good dad. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good firefighter and a good nurse and still have my sanity, right? There's just not enough hours in the week. So I had to make a decision. You know, am I going to leave that comfort zone of that side hustle? I'm a full-time firefighter and we all have side jobs. An ER nurse in a level one trauma center was my side job and it was a hard one and, it, and I loved it and I was fulfilled, but it was trading time for money, trading my precious time away from my family for dollars. So essentially, we decided together that it was a risk we were willing to take. So I uh, resigned from the hospital right before COVID kind of ramped up, which is maybe not the best move, I guess. But um, and I decided to get into multifamily. But at the same time, I'm listening to these podcasts talk about coaches and mentors and how much they cost. And I'm like, man, I would never pay for a coach. I would never pay for a mentorship because at the time I had a very limited you know, pool of capital. And I'm saying to myself, well, what's the return on investment if I use this capital to go get a coach? And what if it doesn't work? And what if this? And what if that? And you know, all these limiting beliefs that I had thinking so super small. Uh, but it's hard when you're faced with, you know, a limited pool of capital and you want to put it to work, but then you have an opportunity to be mentored by some of the best people in the business and kind of rip off and duplicate, right? R&D, rip off and duplicate what they're doing. How did they become successful? So together with my wife, we're like, okay. So we decided to invest in a mentorship program and I vetted a number of different sponsors and had a, it was like speed dating on steroids, you know, and I finally got to the Jake and Gino multifamily mentorship program. And I immediately knew that I had found the guys that I wanted to work with. And uh, that's what we did. We invested in mentorship and oh boy, I could talk for hours on how that absolutely was a rocket ship of opportunity by doing something like that. I can definitely attest to having mentorship and a coach. I know back in July of 2020, I hired a coach for myself and just the accountability, the way that they push you, the insights that they give you, it's just bar, bar none to anything else I've ever spent my money on. It's, it's almost like I wish I had a coach my entire life. And why did I just wait <laughs> until the last couple of, you know, a year or two ago to, to get one? So I can definitely uh, attest to that. And, and as you started working with them, 
what was that sort of first deal that you were able to put in under contract or start to invest in that was, I would say, probably a little bit bigger than the uh, three family? Yeah, so very quickly, my coach was a guy who was from New York, and I'm, I'm from New York, right? So we kind of hit it off, and he's a young young guy, and he had done six or seven projects by that point, and I was really like just so intrigued by his story and how he had the success and his work ethic, and basically, he took me under his wing, and he had an opportunity for a syndication that he was going to do. It was 43 units in York, Pennsylvania, and... I didn't know anything about York, Pennsylvania. I didn't even know that there was apartment buildings out there. So he said to me, listen, this will be a great learning opportunity. Do you want to kind of come, come along the ride? And I said, absolutely. Because when I joined the community, I was picturing doing like 5, 10, 20, 25 unit properties with maybe my brother and my dad and maybe some friends. It's a JV opportunity, right? Joint venture. I didn't ever think I'd be doing syndication in a million years. So now he gives me the opportunity of a lifetime. And I'm seeing how the due diligence works. I'm seeing how the getting property into contract and I'm seeing capital raising and doing Zoom calls and investor relations and all this is kind of coming together. And I'm saying, holy cow, this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible that investors can basically pool their money, buy a really nice asset that's cash flowing from day one. And in multifamily, you can do something called force appreciation of the property. I'd be more than happy to get into that if you want. Um, and then there's a timeline and there's an exit and there's projected numbers. And holy cow, it just totally opened up my mind to syndication and investing passively. And I was immediately hooked. So uh, he had given me an opportunity to raise some money. And, um, you know, I, I thought I was going to raise all this money. I know so many people from New York City, tons of people with money. I mean, this is going to be so easy. Well, well, guess what? When you are known as Tim, the firefighter, and Tim, the ER nurse, and everybody in my circle, they know, like, and trust me, right? But they, they don't know me as Tim, the real estate syndicator. So I, I was able to raise about 150000 for that first deal. And really, it came from people that were just like me, hardworking guys, blue collar, you know, maybe had a side business, you know, and a family and they're putting hours and hours and hours into their business. We're working on the side and they wanted to put some capital to work for them. And they didn't know this was available to them. Uh, so by just having that conversation, it opened up a lot of people's eyes. So then I immediately knew that I had to start changing how I was going to, you know, operate. I was going to be uh, in the multifamily syndication space and I needed to get my message out to my friends and my family. So you know, you start hearing about thought leadership programs and thought leadership platforms, I should say, actually, and blog posts and video blogs and podcasts. And I'm like, holy cow, I barely have enough time <laughs> to get through my day. Like, how am I going to fit any of this in? Right. And then, you know, I have to invest in a website and a company name. And I'm like, it was overwhelming. But I'm like, you know what? I was I was so focused on the outcome uh, that it all made sense to me. And, you know, my brother saw what I was doing and he, you know, wanted to kind of be involved. Um, he's a W2 guy. He lives down in Virginia and, um, you know, we're, we're tight. And so we decided to, you know, and that's how Cityside Capital was born. Um, so I'm going to throw it back to you and I, I can kind of, I can take it anywhere you want to go. Yeah. I think what, what stands out to me is something you mentioned about forced appreciation. And in my mind, I can picture it on a two, three family, you know, four family, even like a 10, 10, 20 unit property, I can picture how forced appreciation would work. But in this particular case, when you're investing in these properties, let's say have 50, 
hundred, you know, 250 units. What does forced depreciation look like in those scenarios? Yes. So, you know, when you're, when you're buying a one through four family property, that's considered residential real estate, right? Five units and above is considered commercial. And once you kind of, you know, split residential versus commercial out, they're valued in two different ways. So your one to four unit properties, they're valued by the comparable sales in the immediate area, maybe at the one, three and five mile mark, right? By the comparable sales, maybe in the last six or 12 months. So basically, in, in essence, you know, whatever the neighbor's house kind of went for, that's kind of, you know, if your house is kind of similar, that's how your house is going to be uh, valued. Now, in commercial, you know, it's all driven by what's called the net operating income. And that's nothing more than your gross income coming in, taking out your expenses, and that brings you to your net operating income. And that's your income before you pay your debt service. So when you're evaluating a commercial property, the healthier the, the line item of the net operating income is, the, the more valuable that piece of property becomes. So how do you force appreciation? Maybe there's, you know, maybe there was a mom and pop landlord and they were just so comfortable with owning this property and not raising the rents because they don't want to ruffle any feathers and have to redo a unit and whatever. So that's called loss to lease. So maybe market rent is a thousand a month and they're, they're getting 750, you know, so that Delta is $250 per unit per month. I mean, that's $3,000 at the end of the year. Um, and every dollar you can get into the net operating income is, is a multiplier for that value. So you know, so maybe you you buy that property and you can slowly, it's called burning off the loss to lease, right? So maybe you, you upon the, that person's renewal, you're saying, listen, you're paying 750 you, you hand them a rent report, right? Uh, Trevor, you know about that, <laughs> those rent reports, right? And and you say, listen, market rent's 1000 So I don't want to crush you all at once, but maybe we're going to go to 850 And they'll say, yes, we like, we like it here. We'll stay or no, we're going to look elsewhere. Uh, and now somebody else comes in and they come in at maybe a thousand, maybe you do a little renovation, light renovation, heavy renovation, whatever you might need. And now you just close that Delta, um, with a, a move out and a move in. So basically every market has what's called a cap rate or a capitalization rate. Um, and that's really granular and you really kind of, kind of get in touch with the brokers and see what the other units, similar type properties are trading for in, in whatever particular market you're in. But if you can get your net operating income and you divide that by your cap rate in the, the prevailing cap rate in the area, that is the value of that property. So you can see very quickly upon takeover, if you burn off loss to lease, if you, you know, renew people at the higher rents, or if you, if they don't, if you kick people out or whatever the case may be, and you can renovate and command a premium rent very quickly in 12 to 18 months, say you can, you can really drive that valuation and now you can refinance, you can refinance out your uh, original capital and now you have infinite returns, maybe you refinance out half. Uh, so now you only have half uh, skin in the game, you know, and, and you're still cash flowing. So in a nutshell, that's forcing appreciation in multifamily. And that's why you'll see these properties trading so often is because when a new group picks it up, they have maybe three to five years to make it operating uh, in, in a better manner, force that appreciation, and then it trades off to the next group. The next group picks up the ball and then they run with it. So um, that's that's basically multifamily in a nutshell. Now I want to hop into the syndication side of the business and for our listeners, and let's say that they're looking to start investing in a syndication deal, say 25, 50, you know, even 100K at play. When someone goes with, you know, let's say someone like yourself and they invest 25 or 50K 
in that process, depending on the deal, you know, let's say it's a, it's a standard deal. From a standpoint, how long does it take for that investor to get, you know, let's say make that full 50K back? Do you think it's a five or 10 year timeline or does it just differ from property to property? That's a great question. And there's so many variables, right? So there's, you know, the sponsors. So you have sponsors that are brand new and you have experienced sponsors. You have different markets that you want to look in. Then you have different asset types. So there's syndications for single family portfolios. There's syndications for multifamily, for self-storage, for office, for retail, for industrial, for data centers, hotels. Um, so there's syndications for literally most asset classes. So once you find an asset class that you like, you have to find a good sponsor with a track record um, and then see what kind of deals they have. You know, on an office, it might be a 10-year, um, you know, hold. They, they call it holding periods. Uh, with multifamily, you'll by and large see anything from three to, say, seven years, um, mostly. I mean, there's longer-term, you know, multifamily syndicators out there that'll do like maybe a 10-year hold with like maybe a refinance or two in that hold period. But generally speaking, you're going to see like three to five, three to six year whole periods. Um, you're generally going to see a $50,000 minimum, although some of them are 25. Um, and then right now, um, it's kind of, I guess, you know, popular to see a preferred return structure of say seven to uh, 9%, seven to 10%, depending on the class of share that you, that you want to invest in. Um, and then a three to six year hold period. And the idea is to double that money um, in that whole period. So it's called an equity multiple. So if you think of an equity multiple of two as doubling your capital, so you put a hundred grand in over that five, six year period, you're going to get a hundred grand from cash flow in each month of that six year period, plus the net proceeds of the sale of the property at the end of the whole period. And then once that happens, you get your original $100,000 investment back. And now you can deploy 200K into another deal. I mean, that's an oversimplification, right? There's tax implications and you spend some of the cash flow. But literally, you know, these syndications, they offer a cash flow on either a monthly or a quarterly basis, monthly, quarterly reporting. So if you go with an experienced sponsor that has done this, they've had successful exits, and they have conservative underwriting. Everybody thinks their their underwriting is conservative these days. But if you can actually have somebody like myself, and uh, we have a we have a, a whole underwriting team that we work with now to really vet these deals, because at the end of the day, I think I told you guys I was a little bit on the cheap side in the beginning. I hate to lose money. You want to make sure that you're. I want to make sure that I'm a good steward of my investors' capital because. I have a lot of friends and family, a lot of coworkers who are investing with me. And at the end of the day, this is not a get rich quick scheme. Uh, you know, this is not overnight success. This is building out a pipeline of passive income on a monthly and quarterly basis and being able to have that velocity money every three to six years. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. I think that gives a great example for someone that's listening. Cause obviously for someone, you know, even like myself, that's, that's looking to invest in a syndication deal and 25, 50 K, you know, hundred K is, is not a small chunk of change. So uh, at least from speaking from my standpoint, I just want to make get cl- further clarification on whole and whole on how the whole process works. I'm sure that would, uh, that's super helpful for our audience. You know, and the other thing too, is like people always come to me and they're like, Tim, how do I, how do you expect me to, you know, part ways with 50 K? And a lot of the conversations, and I love having these conversations by the way. So if anybody wants to reach out, absolutely reach out. But 
you know, you may not think that you have access to capital, uh, but maybe you have, maybe you're 50 years old or 40 years old. You've had a couple of different jobs and different, different careers by now. And you have a rollover 401k with say 50 or hundred or 250 K in it. Um, and you know, just because you have all these different rollovers, maybe you, you settled into fidelity or Vanguard or one of the big boys, right? Um, well, guess what? There's something called an EQRP and a self-directed IRA that you can purchase real estate with. And one of the things you can purchase is syndications. Once you get checkbook control over your retirement funds, you can then invest in these syndications and all the monthly or quarterly distributions go back into your retirement account, right? You don't have total access to it, but they go in tax deferred. And then when they, the property either refinances or sells, well, guess what? Those net proceeds go back into the retirement account tax deferred. And now maybe you doubled your money in three or six years and you can deploy the money out again. And then, so instead of being in the stock market with a, a, a retirement account, you can use it in, in real estate. Uh, you can do the same thing for note investing or single family fix and flips. I mean, there's so many different things you can do with a retirement account in real estate. It just takes a little bit of education and finding somebody that can walk through that process with you. There's also people who refinance their own personal residence or take a HELOC because let's face it, you know, the return on your equity, having equity in your house is beautiful, right? You might feel rich, but the return on equity is always going to be zero. And I got that from like a podcast that I listened to religiously called Get Rich Education by Keith Weinhold. And he always talks about how the return on your home equity is zero. And that if you want to unlock that equity and put it to work for you, it's a great way to get started in real estate investing. Um, is there a risk there? Of course, but there's always a risk reward. But if you can get a HELOC at say 4% or 45 or 3.5% right now, whatever you can get, and say you can get 100K or 250K HELOC, and you invest it in a uh, syndication that offers you an 8 or a 9% return, um, well, guess what? Now you're arbitraging that 8 or 9% return. Um, and then once it sells in a couple of years, you're, now you're at an average annual return of say 18, 19, 20%. Now, you just may not have thought you had access to the cash, but there's other ways that you can access your cash to get started in real estate. That's perfect. And, and as you mentioned, the EQRP, I know we've had a client of ours for, man, it's probably been two or three years. So if anyone that's looking to, to get started with the EQRP, check out Damian Lupo. I forget his business name. I think it might be, e, I think his website might be eqrp.co. So for those listening, feel free to, to check him out. But Tim, I wanted to say definitely enjoyed this conversation and I want to be respectful of your time. So I just had a couple of additional questions I wanted to ask you before we end the show today. I know you, yeah, I know you mentioned rich dad, poor dad, but do you happen to have another real estate investing or business book that you'd recommend for our audience to check out? Yes. Uh, Dr. Tom Burns has a call, uh, a book called um, why doctors don't get rich. And it kind of outlines if you just substitute doctor for any other career path, whether it's teacher, firefighter, uh, police officer, engineer, whatever, and you substitute doctor with uh, whatever you're doing, that book really drives home the need for passive income, why you should start, how do you build it out, and it's a blueprint for how to get started and everything we just talked about today. The other one is Story Brand by Donald Miller, anything by Donald Miller. If you're starting a business, it's incredible. Simon Sinek, Start With Why, Atomic Habits. I mean, there's so many books out there that I've been obsessed with that I've read multiple times. But yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. That's perfect. And Tim, the last question is, where can our audience find you? Yeah, so our website is citysidecap.com, C-I-T-Y-S-I-D-E-C-A-P.com. 
my email address is tim at citysidecap.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, uh, although I'm just learning how to use Instagram. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Um, if you guys go to my website, you can download a free copy of the Amazon bestseller that I was uh, so grateful to be a part of with some giants in this space. Uh, just put in your name and email address and we'll send that right over to you in a digital copy. Perfect. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And Tim, thank you again for your time today. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. For full show notes on today's episode, go to podcastingyou.com. That's podcastingyou.com. If you have feedback from today's episode, feel free to email us at trevor at podcastingyou.com. Thanks for listening.